I was the writer and researcher for the project. I took a nap and I woke up like 30 minutes later to, I don't know, like 50 messages on Telegram because Singapore and Myanmar had some developments in which um, Singapore was not gonna allow people back into the country. So, so, there so was, that happened the day was, you traveled? Yeah, it was God on the damn. day that we landed there, man. So, wow. It, 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 it just like we, we were sent into a panic. We were like looking up flights for like the next flight the next back day. to Singapore. <laughs> yeah. um, and we did it, you know, we, we, we flew back the next morning at 5 a.m. Okay. And uh, we conducted the shoots instead virtually. So I would wow. be on Google Meets. And our camera crew would be there with would hold on the other side. The tablet up, yeah, yeah, and they would use me to talk to the interviewee to interview yep. them. Awesome. And then they would just do all the filming. So it almost looks like we managed to stay there, yeah. but actually, it was that production was done entirely remotely. In general, I don't think I'm going to get in trouble for generalizing. In Asia. There's less lazy people because you you know you're surprised that I'm saying this. So this shows. Yeah, but I've met plenty of lazy people. I've, I, I'm sure <laughs> like there is no way that the West is lazier because it's really? way ahead in terms of like the economy. And yeah, because of the productive few. Yeah, but still like that 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 productive few led that like entire western population hmm. to be ahead of the entire eastern population like and that's not even like in this century that's like yeah millennia sure. ago. but like, you know the so, east is totally catching up it's right there you know oh, yeah, really I there's mean, only there's only the usa left well there's a lot more than the usa to get through uh <laughs> the, the usa is the market leader but i don't think that the usa is like i don't think it's usa and then right after that southeast asia I think Southeast Asia still has a ways to go before getting there. Maybe China's right, right up there. Like China's right there, and more. then yeah. But, but Singapore, uh, for being such a tiny, tiny nation, it's come on, it's a powerhouse. Oh yeah, I'm proud of it. <laughs> uh, it's a great place. In this episode of noticing the obvious. I speak with Nathaniel Fetalvero, otherwise known as Nat. He's a writer and producer at Tech in Asia, a media company based in Singapore, serving Asia's tech and startup community. Tech in Asia has a content production platform providing editorial content, news, and analysis. It also has an advertising agency unit built to create marketing and branded content for clients. Me and Nat talk about what's currently at the top of his mind in terms of new technology. We discuss whether technology makes people more lazy or more productive. We kind of had differing opinions on that. I was on the side of lazy. Uh, we also chat about Myanmar, the country of my birth, where Nat and his team recently made a mini documentary series about the local technology startups there. Overall, fun conversation if you're interested in new tech, content marketing, 5G, and the lack of air conditioners in Finland. Here's Nat. All right, so here I am with Nathaniel Fatalvero. How's it going, Nat? Hey, man, I'm doing all right. Thank you for joining me on this. Uh, well, it's afternoon for you now. It's morning here. Yeah, yeah, all the way here in Singapore, five hours ahead of you, right? Yeah, yeah, not so bad. Uh, how how is it right now? Because we have twenty eight degrees up here in Helsinki, Finland. So people can't believe it. This is Asia. We have Asia heat right now. Oh, you guys have twenty eight degrees. We have twenty eight. That's cool. What do you have? <laughs> I think we're at thirty one today. So it's quite a cool day here. <laughs> oh my gosh. Chill. Oh my gosh! We're all walking around in jackets. So uh, <laughs> people are literally—I'm not joking. People are literally struggling. People are complaining. The stores are running out of fans. People are complaining about they can't sleep at night because we don't have. There's no AC. You know, the houses right. don't have AC. So when it oh, gets that's to, not a norm there. Like a a no, AC isn't like in every house there. AC is in no house, man. There's oh. no AC. 
okay <laughs> well it, that's, that's that's new to me because you know here it's like every house needs ac or exactly or else, you know, how are you going to survive man exactly i know <laughs> i always wonder how did our ancestors in asia survive before well technology was invented i reckon they were wearing a lot less clothing so <laughs> but i've i've been to asia in 30 degree heat you, you can be naked and still sweating so i don't know how uh, yeah <laughs> yeah that's that's the problem i face every day well back in the usual times before this whole like covid-19 thing mm. and like getting to work even though the walk from my place to the train and from the train station to my workplace is like less than five minutes total mm. like i'm sweating like a pig by the time <laughs> i get in the office man we need to ask you know the parents the elders how did they do it yeah look Air at us being with our first world problems <laughs> all right so speaking of first world problems let's get into what you do so when you meet people yeah how do you describe what you do when somebody asks hey what do you do it really depends so um most of the time i would introduce myself to someone and say that i am a writer at technesia studios which is mm-hmm. the kind of content marketing arm of technesia uh we produce content engaging content that reaches asia's tech scene uh for brands who want to reach that audience right so for brands who want to reach technesia's audience we produce that content for them we write compelling stories about them about their partners about their clients um and you know just stuff about innovation entrepreneurship and that's how i usually introduce myself to some people but uh ever since about last year this time i've also started introducing myself to people as a podcaster at technesia ah cool so first yeah. and foremost you see yourself as a writer pretty and, much yeah and now it's more content producer and podcaster Well, yeah, it's complicated because I'm paid to be a writer. The podcasting thing is like my little side project that the company greenlit for me. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, both of equal importance, I would say, uh, just in two very different spectrums. Uh, one is a very business uh one is of high business importance, right? Because mm. a lot of our money, like branded content, it is a million dollar business. There's no there's no throwing that away. So mm. as a, as a writer for Technesia Studios, that's where I'm bringing back the money for the company. But for the podcast as well, it's part of Technesia's mission to be able to connect the entire of Asia's tech scene. And if we're not present on an audio platform, we're missing out on a vital audience. So both equally important, both very different in uh, their roles to the company as well. Absolutely. And let's talk a little bit about podcast cuz i see it as yeah just like you say it's totally important and it's about uh building you know building some kind of presence in, online but for the long term like podcasting mm. you know the returns even if you're doing it for a brand it's going to be the return is going to be slow but gradual would you agree well pretty much the returns for a brand on content um this is something i find that i uh not i myself but we have to explain to a lot of our clients or mm. a lot of our prospects is that we're not actually in the business of generating leads mm. um because that's something that's very hard to guarantee yes right like, like we could be it's not that content can't be leads but that's not what we're into we're here to build your branding uh increase your share of the mind like your your mind share across industry professionals across the tech audience in southeast asia in asia um i love that and and that's where it is like we're establishing you as a thought leader within the space yeah uh yeah so it's we play the long game right absolutely uh, because we we wouldn't be able to guarantee even for like uh at the end of articles like we always put a call to action at the bottom you know visit this website to learn more most of the times that's not what really gets clients to come work with us hmm. what gets clients to work with us is the fact that technesia which um i mean tooting our own horn but is a fairly reputable organization uh as a media publication in asia's tech scene hmm. is 
writing about this company. Exactly. So being covered by a reputable media company that establishes you quite uh, quite aptly as a thought leader in your space in whatever you're commenting on in the article and whatever you're whatever you're saying about your technology, your product, mm. your service. So that's so it's not so much about generating leads, more about increasing your mind share yeah and i i always describe it as i always describe content marketing as um like almost like i'm gonna give you a makeover i can't guarantee you're gonna get lots of dates there's no guarantee that you're gonna get this many dates right but i'm gonna make you look better when you go to the club yeah and that's essentially what uh you know, we have to communicate to our clients, yeah. right? Because a lot of them, they come to us. Um, a lot of them actually come to us with blank briefs, you know, yeah. pretty much blank where it's just like a description of the company and then a call to action is just to lead to their homepage. So there's no real like, oh, sign up for an event or mm. try out our product. It's really just like we are a company and we exist. So mm. it's up to us to find that story. That's what we tell our yeah. clients, like to trust us in finding that story that really speaks to our audience what about you is going to make you pop out from the rest of the industry. Oh, I like that. How for brands that don't have a story or they don't like the story they have, um, how, how do they accept your story? How easy it is to give them a story that they like? Well, man, everyone's got a story. There's no brand that doesn't have a story. Mm. Uh, Like even the founding story, like there's, definitely something there uh whether it's uh founded out of utility founded out of pure inspiration founded Mm. out of a dream like there is a compelling story to be made for a for a company's founding we've even written stories about companies that were born out of parent companies so they were a department under that company but they spun off into being their own uh individual company so that 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 begs an important question as well like why did they spin off and what was so important for them that they had to be independent from their uh, parent company. So there are stuff like that, 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 that really uh, is something that we tell ourselves is that we, there's no such thing as there's no story. Uh, you just have to find it and choose the most compelling one because definitely there are less compelling stories and more compelling stories, but there's always a story. So in crafting that ideation proposal, as we call it, to our clients, we present them with their stories and we convince them that that story is the one that will resonate with the audience that they want to reach yeah, and will lead to the objective that they want to accomplish. Yep. I don't know who said it. I think it was David Ogilvy who said, it's all about finding the truth, but making it fascinating. Yeah. So it's two steps. Yeah. It's two steps. It's not just telling the truth. And it's not just making stuff fascinating. It's got to be the truth made fascinating. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's the job. Mm. Uh we find the truth, we make it as fascinating as compelling as possible. And we produce that story and we always aim to inspire, to inform, entertain even uh and yeah. That's 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 a really good quote. I gotta note that down. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Um, all right. So tech in Asia. So, I mean, you're 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 the authority of what's going on in tech in Asia. So, can you tell me like what's what's at the top of your mind right now? What's the main thing that that's hot right now that you're thinking about a lot, or what's <laughs> being talked about a lot? Well. Well, I wouldn't call myself the authority on tech in Asia, right? Like, I think I've been I've been in the scene for about like coming to about a year and a half now. Uh, no, two years. I and think a half. you're being modest. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, no, but 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 really, like, there's who who was it that said uh, Socrates? He said that the only thing that he knows is that he knows nothing. Oh, uh, one of my favorite quotes. Yeah, it's, it's a good one. So um, especially in the tech scene, that's something that I think applies to anyone who wants to know what's going on. Uh, because it's so happening, it's it's always changing. Yeah. It's always there's always something new every day, um, which makes our jobs as uh, journalists really exciting because yeah. we're always writing about something every other Never day. Never boring. So, yeah. But but to your question, like what's what's happening right now? Mm. I think, and 
I think one of the upcoming things is, uh, and we're probably gonna, you're probably gonna get some messages about this, but it's 5G. Mm. Uh, 5G and its implications in creating smart cities. Mm-hmm. So Singapore has been on this project for a while. I think I attended a couple of press conferences, a couple of uh, events where they've been shouting out about the, uh, the, the, the applications of 5G, the, mm-hmm. the, if, uh, the effects of a smart city, right? And what's a smart city? It's eventually like turning cities today into an upgraded version of themselves. The same way that mobile phones from before, you know, the old Nokias, the, what was it? Like 3300 or something, mm-hmm. turning it into the iPhone of today. So that's giving it, giving a city and everything within it, all the capabilities that it needs to bring an upgrade from that old Nokia to an iPhone 10, right? So that would entail like a smart city gridlock where like there are uh, like you kind of have uh, uh, what's it called? The internet of things applied mm-hmm. into every single home. Um, with that internet of things applications, you can use that to order food delivery. You can use that to secure your home. You can use that to communicate with other people within the block, set up block parties, uh, send out announcements within the towns uh, through these IoT systems. And that's what a smart city essentially is. And that's something that can be enabled by 5G, which is an upgraded version of 4G. Um, so yeah, I think that's pretty exciting just because of the implications that it has on the entire ecosystem not just in the tech scene but down to like the consumer right because like there are going to be many uh innovations across the entire tech scene right there's going to be like upgrades in like ai there's going to be upgrades in SaaS platforms um blockchain technology but a lot of these are fairly isolated in their impacts compared to 5g and smart cities because that really affects like once you have a smart city, you're going to set up IoT applications. IoT applications will bring in a lot of uh, AI technology and machine learning. And with all these improved homes and improved uh, lifestyles, people are going to be seeking more convenient lifestyles. Uh, food deliveries will spike through the roof. Uh, shared bike uh, systems, uh, shared transport systems, those last mile transportations, they're going to come back to Singapore since they've left in the recent years. But yeah, those, those are the kind of things that would happen if a smart city program were to be implemented. Yeah, I think that's pretty exciting. Yeah, I mean, it is exciting. Just technology bringing us more comfort yeah. and comfort that we didn't know we were missing until it's here and now we can't go back. Yeah, exactly. And it's like, you know, like smartphones. Before smartphones, nobody knew they needed the smartphones. Exactly. Right? Like you never knew that you wanted to access the internet through your phone. And then now you can't live without the internet on your phone. Like if you ran out of data, you're going to be like walking around, like living as if you're in a desolate land. But actually like it's just missing the internet at your fingertips. Uh, That's how like, the, impl- the the application of smart city could affect like the lifestyle of an entire population. It's crazy. At some point in the near future, we're going to get mad when our fridge doesn't know that we've run out of milk. Or, you know, <laughs> like my shampoo bottle doesn't tell me what's going on in my hair. You know, like we're going to be mad that things are not, you know, smart. Yeah, yeah. We're going to be mad that the groceries didn't get delivered by themselves. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah, You have to actually figure out what you want to cook and order it yourself. Yeah, pretty much. Okay, let's get philosophical just for a minute. Yeah. What do you think for yourself? Like, how do we develop as humans if everything we're doing Everything we're building is to make our lives easier. Mm-hmm. How do we keep the ability to do things or the ability to do difficult things? Or do we even need to keep that ability? Are we trying to eradicate all friction from our lives? I think there are there are various points of view on the matter, right? I mean, there's the point of view of, um, what was that movie? Do you ever watch Wally? Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. that's that's essentially what we're talking about, right? That's scary. That's coming. We're moving towards that every day. (laughs) Well, that's 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 with the assumption that we have never seen that movie and we'll never see it coming. But I don't 
I just don't think that's gonna happen. Okay. Because there are two points of view, right? There's there's that point of view where you assume the worst and technology will enable us to the point that we are disabled. Like for lack of a better term, you know, uh sitting in chairs that drive us around, uh not at our behest, but on their own accord, and being told by machines to do whatever they think that we should do rather than what we want to do. Uh, but I think that really takes an incredibly terrible definition mm. of what it is to be human to develop to, into that state, right? Like, that's assuming... Like, I always thought that the Wally movie's director, I forgot who it was, but I, thought, I always thought that he had a really bad impression of humanity that he had no faith in humanity, that humanity could never survive on its own if it was left to its own devices, which I don't think is the case. You know, like if that were the case, we would have been shut down by technology long ago. Like it's had the opportunity to ruin our lives several times. Mm-hmm. But we've always seen people rise to the, to, to the occasion and, you know, uh, quash whatever security risks it brings up. Uh, quash whatever privacy uh, breaches it brings up. You know, there's always constant conversations about the the the, the, the philosophy of technology, like uh, the the morality of technology, the ethics in the use of technology. There's mm. a lot of discussions about the like building ethical AIs. You know, AIs that hold to the same values that we do, so that if ever we do leave the world to them, they'll run it in the same way that we would in, imagine it. Right. Mm. So I, I don't think that humans are terrible enough that, you know, we would build a world in because it would take for us to build that we would be building the architects of that broken world. So I don't think we'll get to that state. I think that technology is always a tool. Technology is never inherently bad in itself. Mm-hmm. So you're optimistic. Yeah, yeah, pretty optimistic. I can't be a writer in the tech scene if I'm pessimistic about technology uh it's also our slant you know at tech in asia like you know all publications we have a slant and we're always optimistic and we always look on the uh uh positive applications you know the positive impact mm. while also balancing that discussion with the potential negatives the uh because we we can't be entirely biased right but yeah that's that's what i think and that's why i think is is like that's that's not just the slant I hold to because that's the publication slant. I think that's true as well. Uh, we're we're better than that, basically. <laughs> you have faith in humanity, <laughs> but still, I think we're talking about two slightly different topics: ethics in AI. Mm-hmm. Yes, I think that's slightly different to what Wally is saying. Is we're just gonna become so lazy. We're not. We're gonna lose the ability to do things for ourselves which leads to the inability to think for ourselves. Because once once everything is there at the snap of a finger, and before you even snap a finger now, things are going to be there ready for you, isn't that going to dull our intellect, intelligence? Right, right, right. I see what you mean. So, But that's also not true to how technology has enabled humanity so far, you know? Wait, 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 wait. You said smartphones, all right? Yeah. Now we don't need to remember stuff anymore. We have our phones. We have all the information of all history at the tip of our fingers. So now we don't use our memories. We don't use any attention. We have no attention span. So it has, just looking at the phones, we can see that it has taken something away, don't you think? Well, yeah, it's taken that away. But I don't think it will take away stuff like something so core to humanity as innovation, you know. Like taking away the need to remember numbers, I think that's one thing. And taking away our ability to remember numbers is an entirely other thing, right? Like mm. I can still remember the top five like mobile numbers that I need to call just can in you? case my phone dies. Yeah, wow. I, I have to. Like in okay. case my phone dies, I have to remember those numbers. So I'm closer um, to the Wally spaceship than you are because I cannot <laughs> well, remember also, any phone numbers. I do think it helps that the phone numbers here in Singapore, I think, are a lot shorter than the ones yes, in good point. Uh, yeah, where, where you're at. Like, in your side of the world, I don't know why European phone numbers are always so long. You're but, right. That's a good yeah. point. Well, even Asian phone numbers. Just Singapore, actually, that has, like, 
quite concise phone numbers. But you know that that aside, like I don't think that that is something that technology will do to us because technology so far has enabled us to be even more innovative rather than to allow us to slack off. You know what I mean? Like if you look at yeah. applications in the B two B world, right? Just look at cloud technology. Uh, people built cloud infrastructures that can hold on their own, be maintained, like self-maintained cloud infrastructures, just so that their engineers would not have to busy themselves with uh, maintenance and ensuring that the server stays up, but to busy themselves instead with innovation and developing new features and new products for the business to uh, better serve their consumers and their customers, right? So that's, Mm. I, I think that's, it's obviously very different from discussing how humans operate, but I think that's the same principle that applies because even without technology, with zero technology at our, like, like how many million years ago we were able to build step by step to be able to get to where we are today. I don't think that more technology will lead to less capable humanity. It will just lead to a more capable humanity looking for even more ways to innovate. Wow. I love this. And you've just made me arrive at an insight just now when you said that i'm going to amend what i think which is i think technology is going to make those with innovative tendencies more innovative at the same time those with lazy tendencies more lazy so it's going to separate it's going to widen that gap lazy people are going to get lazier and innovative people are going to innovate more and and those people are a minority lazy people are going to be a majority oh do you think so yeah I, I do think so but this is such a this is um this is indicative of where we both live yeah. <laughs> and I've, I've just crapped on a whole uh, i didn't i didn't i'm not mentioning any countries but just in general <laughs> in fact okay i live in finland and i don't see lazy people all right i'll say that but in general okay. in the west yeah there are a lot of lazy people. And I think in general, I don't think I'm going to get in trouble for generalizing. In Asia, there's less lazy people. Because you, you know, you're surprised that I'm saying this. So this shows. Yeah, but I've met plenty of lazy people. I've, I, I'm sure like <laughs> there is no way that the West is lazier because it's really? way ahead in terms of like the economy. And yeah, because of the productive few. Yeah, but still, like that, that, that productive few led that like entire Western population hmm. to be ahead of the entire Eastern population. Like, and that's not even like in this century. That's like, yeah, millennia sure. ago. But like, you know, the so, East is totally catching up. It's right there. You know, oh, yeah, really, I there's mean, only there's only the USA left. Well, there's a lot more than the USA to get through. Uh, the the USA is the market leader but I don't think that the USA is like I don't think it's USA and then right after that Southeast Asia I think Southeast Asia still has a ways to go before getting there maybe China's right right up there China's right there yeah but But Singapore uh, for being such a tiny tiny nation it's come on it's a powerhouse oh yeah I'm proud of it (laughs) Uh, it's a great place but um yeah I, I think despite being a powerhouse it is limited by its lack of manpower lack of resources um well not lack of manpower like it's only resources it's manpower mm. uh, but it's general lack of la- lack of resources that mm. really holds it back from well conquering the world maybe but i also don't think that's its goal so that's yeah exactly fine with exactly us. there's no need <laughs> i mean one of my favorite people is charlie munger and mm. His favorite country in the world is Singapore, and you know I don't know oh. I don't know if you've heard him talk about it. He just he just loves Singapore, and he talks what about what does he love about Singapore? He's a huge fan of Lee Kuan Yew. Like he talks about what he did. He I think the way Charlie Munger puts it is uh, Lee Kuan Yew. What he did was he he figured out what's needed and just did it. Like just yeah. in, simply put, in, like in terms of disregarding any distractions or anything that will prevent you from doing what's needed, what's necessary, Mm. do what's necessary. And that's what he did. And he brought Singapore from poverty to the top within a certain number of years. So yeah. Like he was a utilitarian in a sense. Yeah. And Charlie's a fan of that. And I'm a fan of Charlie. So I'm I'm influenced. (laughs) 
Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. I mean, uh, if you look at the structure that Singapore is in right now, it's pretty great. Like, um, well, barring you know the pandemic and everything, but uh, on a regular day, it's a pretty great place to be. I it's love clean, Singapore. It's I love no it. crime. Um, there's definitely the argument that a lot of people would have that there's a lack of freedom here, but yep. I I don't think so. I don't know if it's I because agree. I lack I lack the want. Or maybe I'm just comfortable, or maybe I could be part of the privileged few, right? But yeah, I think it's 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 pretty great for where we're at. Well, when I first heard the rule about driving and how difficult it is to get a car, I thought, okay, that's dumb. That's a lack of freedom. But now, yeah. after having been there a few times, I love it, man. I love that not everybody can get a car. And I yeah. wish that whenever I'm in London or whenever I'm in America, in LA, God, I wish they have that law. <laughs> <laughs> Plus, also there's the fact that you know public transport here is an, like it's amazing. Mm, it's like, awesome. I never fully appreciated it until like I went to Indonesia, <laughs> I went yep. uh, to the Philippines, to you know Thailand, and yeah. like our public transport system in Singapore is pretty sick. It's the best, <laughs> and the education and everything, man. Yeah, you know Singapore. Yeah, so tell yeah. me. Tell me about 5G in Singapore or just Asia in general. Like, so you're saying that's at the top of everyone's minds now. How far along is the rollout and you know what's happening in terms of smart cities? How far away do you think it is? I don't know if it's top of everyone's minds, right? But I do think that it is going to be... It's going to be one of those things that people don't think about, but it empowers almost everything they do. Yeah, you know? agreed. So um, I'm... I don't exactly know what stage of the rollout we're at right now. I think, uh, especially since the pandemic kind of slowed um, how we're working on things. Uh, we were, at least in Singapore, it was supposed to roll out a smart port system first, which I think is still underway because that's something that, you know, it, 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 it could stand to bolster the economy uh, way more than just a smart city. Um, you know, increasing our productivity in the ports, which is our main source of um, logistics and um, uh, ex import and export revenue, which is pretty big in Singapore. Hmm. Um, but yeah, I'm not sure about the rest of Asia. I know that Huawei is trying to be a market leader in 5G development. Hmm. Uh, Huawei, the mobile technology company. So they've pivoted slightly from just providing smartphones to mm. um, providing enterprise services, right? So they're trying to launch 5G for businesses and, um, you know, that kind of like smart suite for your business. Uh, but I'm not sure how far along they're developed with that, like whether they have something already. Yeah. So, yeah, like it sounds pretty weird, but while I'm an advocate for it and I'm pretty excited for it, I have no idea where we're at right now yeah. <laughs> until like it reaches full development and rollout across the whole region. Yeah, um, particularly because the smart city thing, I think, was put a little bit on hold when um, the world stopped for the virus. But people would argue that Singapore is already like one of the smartest cities in the world. But um, well, yeah, I guess it is kind of there. Totally. Though I've had friends who've gone to China who would say that Singapore is way behind. Right? Oh, like, uh, it's anecdotal, of course. But like one of my friends, he went to. Uh, Beijing and even people on the streets asking for money, you know, they would hold up placards <laughs> with their QR code for their awesome. WeChat account, and that's where they would ask for donations. Not for not not via cash, not via uh, whatever. Like it's via mobile phone transactions. Uh, awesome! I have not heard that, that, and I've always wondered because when I walk around Helsinki and I see people asking for money, I'm like. Don't you know nobody carries coins? And I always think that because I genuinely don't have any money on, on me. I can't give you anything. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Until so you just said friend, that. That was so obvious. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that, that's like how my friend was actually uh, giving one of these people like his spare change, right? Mm. And they had they didn't no want idea it. what to do with it because <laughs> they don't use like this like like hard money themselves. They huh. use WeChat Pay. Love or it. they use some like Alipay or you know one of these other fintech apps, which you know it it could be where the whole world is headed next. Oh wow, I love it. 
Yeah. Well, not could be, it will be. It's just a matter of yeah, time totally. until we get there. Uh, but yeah, I think in, in that sense, Singapore still has a ways to go. There's been a lot of discussion in the... In, in, wait, wait, in, you're saying Singapore has a ways to go because you don't have beggars with QR codes. You don't have beggars no, at all. Just, <laughs> it's not just that, man. Like, it's the fact that downstairs at the shop where I like to buy right. snacks you still or, buy. you know, like to buy candy. Like, I, I, I would still have to pay in cash. Right. If right, I pay right. by debit or pay by credit card, pay by nets. They um, charge more. Yeah, there, there's there's a minimum charge yep. of like five dollars. If not, yep. it's gonna cost extra. Yeah, right. I so that. there's that now. I think since um, there's there's a ride hailing company here called Grab. Yep. Um, they they basically chased Uber out of the market, and um, they developed this uh, fintech app. Well, not fintech app. Fintech capability called Grab Pay. Right, mm-hmm. and that's something that uh, has made some moves in revolutionizing the payment systems here in Singapore. They're in quite a few uh, mom and pop shops. They're in quite a few restaurants. You can pay via grab pay, uh, but it's still just an e-wallet. Like you still have to top it up. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's still, it's still facing some friction in adoption just because some people always think about how much do I really want to put in an e-wallet, right? Mm-hmm. Like, at one at a time, people are always going to put like $50 inside and then they're going to have to top it up again by like the next day or so. So uh, Singapore still has a ways to go because of that, like this uh, friction in adoption, uh, but also because it's such a fragmented scene here. In China, there's like two main players, I'd say. Mm. Like I wouldn't say they're the only players. There's definitely way more than them, but they're the main players in terms of payments. Mm. Uh, Alipay and WeChat Pay, right? Mm. Uh, but here in Singapore, there's so many different apps that you can use. Alipay wow. is here as well for I'm Chinese surprised stores. to hear that because Singapore being yeah. so tiny and China being so huge. Well, but also because it's so friendly to the tech ecosystem that all of these e yep, can come here and set up their yep, their, yep, good point. their POS systems, right? And 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 that's what led to this fragmented um, this fragmented market where. Uh, if you go to one shop, you can pay via Razorpay. You go to another one, you can't because they only right. accept GrabPay. You go to another one, they accept like Fave or something like that. So it, it, there are a few hurdles that Singapore have to get through along the way, but I think, yeah, we'll get there eventually, especially because the government here is super supportive of this, uh, these kind of initiatives. Yeah. One day it's going to be unified crypto. <laughs> what do you, what's your opinion on crypto? I don't know enough about it to be an advocate or a critic. I can't understand it to its full potential. You know what I mean? Like mm. I get it in the sense that I've written about its potential applications, potential capabilities. Um, like it tends to really be uh, quite, quite a lucrative business in the gaming industry, for example like mm. uh, crypto games the same way that Fortnite rose to fame because of its microtransactions and all that like mm. blockchain games could get people transacting just because of their microtransactions um but i don't know about mass adoption mm. at least not in the very near future maybe a no. few years yeah well they have huge barriers right they have to get past governments you know yeah yeah and just like the traditional systems because Banks are afraid that, yeah, uh, you know they'll lose out once a blockchain takes, uh, like like becomes the new normal. Oh, absolutely. So, so they're lobbying against cryptocurrency being legalized, um, and there's also the fact that aside from that, there are a lot of bad faith players in the scene that have raised their own initial coin offerings mm. and then just left with the money that they've raised instead mm. of building the applications they've promised to build. Mm. Um, there's also the fact that they just have a very bad uh, UI, UX problem. Like, mm. More UX. Like It's so hard for someone to get into crypto, it is. get into blockchain, that they're not winning any hearts over. So... It's it's a ways to go. I'm not a critic in the sense that I think it will not be a thing. I just think that what a lot of the advocates think it will be will not be the final form that it will be when when we finally mass adopt blockchain technology. You know, I still think that the best way for like just like five G, the best way for blockchain 
technology to be widespread is to be the powering force behind technology mm. rather than at the forefront. You know, like in the sense that people use the app not knowing that it's blockchain. Exactly. But it is blockchain powered uh, and it is blockchain technology. But they just don't know it because it's so easy to use. It's almost like just like logging into Facebook. You click one button and you're there. Yeah, you don't need to know what's under the hood. Yeah, yeah. So that's, yeah, these emerging technologies usually have this problem. They'll work out the kinks in a few years. There'll be a few revolutionaries who will come up with amazing ideas. So I don't think they're in trouble in any way. Okay, uh, just quickly, I want to talk about a video that you guys made. I don't know if you had a hand in it because I'm actually, I was born in Myanmar. Mm. So, and I've watched your last video, which I loved. Um, yeah, yeah. The startups. Did you have a lot to do with that? I did actually. So I flew down there. Um, wow. Uh, well, I'm, I'm going to cut into your story, but tell me, no. a funny thing. It's a funny thing about what happened there. Um, I was the writer and researcher for the project. Oh, okay. Um, That's cool. It's part of a new initiative we're trying, Technesia Originals, where we create original video content. We, we're essentially trying to produce content and then get it sponsored rather than the usual process of partnership content where we get money first, get people to sign the contract, and then we produce content for them. Yep, great you know? idea. So we're trying to get... We're trying to reverse the process, kind of go back to the like television days where that was a thing. Uh, but but that works w- now because we have the technology and the capability. We don't need to wait like in the TV days yeah. where where you needed a TV studio. You know, you can do go down there with a couple of cameras and produce broadcast quality material, which is what you've done. Yeah, and. Well, like the, the the thing that happened is I went there. I was the writer researcher. I went there with uh, my uh, uh, colleagues, uh, the video producer who was in charge of the project, okay. um, the account manager who was there to lie us with our sponsors because they were co-producing it with us because our sponsors for that, you know, just as a disclosure, were KBZ Bank and BOD Tech Ventures, mm. uh, which one is the national bank in Myanmar, or like one of the biggest banks in Myanmar, mm. and the other one is one of the more prolific tech investors in Myanmar, right? So we engaged them; they co-sponsored this, they co-produced it with us to give us like uh, let us tap their network, uh, leverage their connections to be able to create this um, documentary, right? Mm. Uh, we went there. We had worked the weeks and almost months prior doing up scripts, a storyboard. Liaising nice. with our with with our uh, with with our what's it called with our contact you know in in nice. Myanmar because we engaged the local video crew mm. rather than bringing over a crew from Singapore. Yep, um, that's just typically how we work when we're filming something overseas. Um, and we went there as well with our uh, company's chief operating officer because uh, you know just like she could go around uh, signs on business deals with. Um, any of the people that we were interviewing or even mm. some of the people that we might meet if we went to co-working spaces or accelerators or stuff like that. Mm. And we reached there day one, right? We went to do a site recce for one of the, the, the locations for the next day. And that night, I decided to take a nap, you know, an afternoon nap because I was like, okay, I had a late night previous night. We had an early morning flight and tomorrow and the rest of the week, we were supposed to be there for six days. Mm-hmm. was going to be quite intense, back-to-back film schedules. And I'm going to be asking interview questions. I have to be on the ball. Got to remember to ask the right follow-up questions. Got to get the right answers um, to be able to make a compelling documentary. And I took a nap and I woke up like 30 minutes later to, I don't know, like 50 <laughs> messages on Telegram because Singapore and Myanmar had some developments in which... Um, Singapore was not gonna allow people back into the country. Oh right, yes, I heard that. Yeah, um, yeah. So, so there so was, that happened the day was, you traveled. Yeah, it was God on the damn. day that we landed there, man. So, wow, uh, that was the evening. So, uh, I, I don't think they were flat out just refusing to let anyone in. Yeah, but they were gonna quarantine you for like fourteen days or something. Like yeah. That. So we were, we 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 were we we were pretty scared, right? Because if they would impose that kind of restrictions on Myanmar, one is that 
um, well, it's not just Myanmar, it's like the entire ASEAN uh, mm-hmm. nations, right? And they don't usually do that. Like we, we don't make a habit of closing our borders. Um, it, 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 it just like we, we were sent into a panic. We were like looking up flights for like the next flight the next back day. to Singapore. Yeah. Um, and we did it, you know, we, we, we flew back the next morning at 5 a.m. Okay. And uh, we conducted the shoots instead virtually. So I would wow. be on Google Meets and our camera crew would be there with would Google hold Meets on the other side. the tablet up, yeah. Yeah, and they would use me to talk to the interviewee to interview yep. them. Awesome. And then they would just do all the filming. So it almost looks like we managed to stay there. But yeah. actually, it was, that production was done entirely remotely. So amazing. Uh, kudos to the crew. Like, they were amazing. Um, and, you know, like, to, to our crew as well, like, my video producer for, for really shaping that up into something that was pretty, like, I think it was pretty awesome as one of the first of our Technisha originals. Wow. So, and so appropriate. Like, you use technology to complete to <laughs> overcome the problem yeah well we're a tech company right we gotta yeah uh, be able to use technology as well um, nice but, but yeah, yeah so, i so really enjoyed it. with that with that documentary um yeah so we'll be launching more of those eventually you know startup frontiers and then just whatever country is next um but we're rolling it out in phases so yeah that definitely we'll see more of those um, okay well talk to me just a little bit about Myanmar. It yeah. is, it's commonly seen as the final frontier, right? Do you think it's the yeah, last? Yeah, it's that's, the last that's what we wrote region. in the uh, the promo trailer, the final frontier of technology yep. uh, in, in Asia. So, yeah, I, I think it has a very colorful history, right? It Myanmar does. is at a place where the rest of Southeast Asia or a bulk of Southeast Asia was maybe 10 years ago. Yeah. Um, and it's all because, well, it's, it's, it's situation maybe in, in pre 2012, 2013. Yeah. When the whole country started to open up to the world, mm-hmm. uh, it realized that it was quite behind yep. just because it had been closed off for uh, the bulk of its existence. And well, not the bulk of its existence, but for, for the longest time it had mm. been closed off in a time when the world was speeding up its development and like yep. growing its economies by like tenfold. And um, what happened then was that they privatized their uh, telecom operators. Yep. Right. So they privatized the telecom industry and that just, turned the whole place upside down in a good way because previously you went to Myanmar you'd have to pay like 200 bucks for a sim card yep it's so weird it's such a weird number it's insane right like 200 bucks for a sim card I'm just gonna go around and just talk to people (laughs) there's no way I'm gonna (laughs) use a phone uh and yeah this that that was one of the things that that changed uh, immediately right after that yeah Um, and there's a whole generation I think there's a whole generation of kids um, Myanmar kids right now who who don't really understand that like for them this is just this is normal and they're born into this so I, I find that really interesting and like there's a whole generation for example who doesn't know well let's say laser discs you know like they they went straight from uh, VHS to now Netflix right they skipped the whole DVDs the laser discs the VCDs whatever else uh, came so so they're just joining the party now but it's fine you know they, i think it was in your video that Myanmar has one of the highest mobile usage in southeast asia yeah there's this whole generation of people whose first brush with technology was mobile technology already exactly exactly you know, so they went straight into that uh and and going straight into that is replicating what a lot of people in china also faced yeah, like so they huge, missed they missed what you, yeah. you just talked about, which is the, the Nokia thirty two hundred. Yeah, you know? yeah, pretty much right. So they 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 missed the entire uh, non smartphone thing, yep. and there's a whole like mobile first generation that has also never went to computers first. Before exactly, computer that's another thing. No computers, because yeah. I met a lot of kids who were super mobile savvy, didn't know how to use a laptop, didn't know what what a computer was, like what's the point of it, and yeah. A lot of the kids that I met, because I went for the first time uh, in 2011. That was the mm. first time in 30 years since I was 
I, I left when I was two and I went back in 2011. Wow. And then, um, so, and I remember after, after mobile came, you know, after mobile internet went everywhere, they would literally see computers as Facebook. Like internet was Facebook or Facebook was internet. Yeah. Yeah. And then I, and I would try to explain what the internet is and they, it was harder to explain than what Facebook is. Yeah, yeah. And, and that's the thing for, like, that's one thing for them that I think would present a barrier as well for technology. Uh, mm. Just because a lot of the technology, a lot, of the, a lot of the platforms that technology companies would build had to leverage Facebook's platform, mm. right? So like Facebook marketplaces, um, rather than just your traditional e-commerce marketplaces. Yep. Um, and, and yeah, I, I think that's something that um, might present a barrier, might present some sort of obstacle for them to really burst past that um, acclimatization to Facebook. Yeah. But, you know, they'll, they'll, they'll get there. And which is why coming back to 5G, people don't realize, and I'm realizing it more and more, and especially during this conversation, it's not just faster internet. It's going to... Yes, it is faster internet at the core, but what that faster, inherently faster internet is going to enable, a lot of stuff we can't imagine right now. Yeah, yeah. It's not just, just that you can download shit quicker. It's yeah. literally going to be that, you know, things... You can do so many more things that you could have never done before. Yeah. Yeah. So so that's that's what would be exciting about it. And I think that's that's as well, like, what what burst Myanmar into the scene, right? Because previously its internet was wasn't its internet infrastructure was almost non-existent. Mm. And suddenly it burst into like being one of the faster internet connection speeds in the world. So mm, crazy. I think that speaks volumes as to how much potential there is in that tech ecosystem. And uh we met a lot of innovative people. Well met would be a strong word since I met them over Google Meets. But uh, a lot of them have very bright and very uh, um, very optimistic uh, ideas for how they could bring Myanmar into the next, yep. uh, into the global stage, you know, like not even regional stage. They could bring Myanmar into the global stage. Yeah, why and I not? Think, like that's something of a possibility because of these uh, highly innovative people. Yeah. And it's already a global world, so it's time. Like, it's a good time for Myanmar to open up because if they opened up 20 years ago, then they would have just been a country in Asia. But now it's a good time to join because now it's a global yeah, global yeah. world, global market. Yeah. It's a very attractive market now as well just because there's, where there is adversity, there's always massive opportunity oh man that's huge right like because there's so much left to do to bring Myanmar forward there's so much opportunity to be the one to do that and a lot of people want to tap on that market want to want to leverage that need and be the one to provide the solutions um but, but it takes a lot of effort you know to be able to build and to be able to uh uh conceptualize those solutions in a place that's still lacking a little bit of the infrastructure, the support mm. infrastructure that tech startups would need to be able to accelerate and grow and uh, really bring the ecosystem forward. I just want to connect this to what we said earlier, which that's the point I was trying to make, which is what you just said, where there's adversity, that's where we get innovation. <laughs> and mm. that's what I'm talking about. In the West or in developed countries where there is no adversity, except we have increasing comfort brought to us by technology, mm. surely you can see how that's going to breed laziness. I do. I do see where you're coming Just from. humanity as a whole. But, this is why I see Wally happening, man. Yeah. For, for the masses. Just, for just, the masses. Just out of principle, I refuse to believe it, you know. Like I refuse to believe that there is a situation in which there is no adversity. There's always adversity. There's always going to be a problem to solve. It just takes the right people to find those problems and prof and find those solutions or create those solutions to solve them. There's always going to be innovation and there's always going to be a need for it. Uh, it might 
the, the adversity might look different in the West compared to the East, compared to the Southeast Asia mm. countries, just because uh, we're a little bit behind a little bit. Mm. But it doesn't mean that the West has no areas in which it can uh, birth the next innovative tech magnets. Just because it started already doesn't mean that, you know, now it's past its prime, like its era is over. It still has the capabilities to be able to produce some very strong innovations. And I think like we can see that in the pretty high profile uh, tech companies that, you know, are always hitting news, right? Like um, what's Elon Musk's company, Tesla. Mm. Oh, he's got um, four of them. Yeah. Like what was the other one? SpaceX, (laughs) Tesla. Yeah. He's got boring company. He's yeah, got Neuralink, like, which is the one I'm super excited about. He, you know, he's going to literally put computers into our brains. I think he's already yeah. done it. So yeah. I'm super and, and excited about that. That's just one example. Like, it's not a great example uh, because it's just one out of many, but it still shows that there is space for so much innovation left in the West. It just takes one person, like a few people to find those problems, identify those problems and really find a solution or create one to be able to address them. Hmm. Yeah, I, I agree. I, all I'm saying is uh, I'm not bashing the West at all. <laughs> I, <Yeah>. hope, <laughs> I hope I don't get kicked out now. <laughs> what I'm saying is just if I don't separate East and West, ge- let's not separate humanity um, geo- ge- geographically. If I yeah. separate lazy people and productive people what i'm saying is as technology advances the incentive for lazy people to become more lazy is growing and that's so i guess my message to myself even you know or whoever wants to take it is we have to remember you know technology is here to make our lives comfortable but we need to keep ourselves sharp because otherwise we will accidentally become lazy without our knowledge yeah, yeah. Well, I guess I've always been an optimist in that sense, you know, rather than look at the message being you can't fall into laziness. I feel like I tend to focus on the you have to be the innovative one, you know. So rather than being wary of falling into the pitfalls, falling into the uh, cautionary tales, like I'm more striving for that top percentile, I guess. It's good, it. man. Yeah, exactly. That's that's what we're supposed to do. Strive for that top percentile. Yeah. yeah. I love that. I love that. Yeah, but also I'm young, so you know I could get jaded. <laughs> You're still optimistic, yeah. <laughs> okay. But so uh, so yeah. let's finish off by, I want to ask you, I mean, you've met and worked with a lot of startups in the region. Um, what common traits do you see in the successful ones, whether it's individuals or whether it's companies? Like what are some of the obvious common uh, tendencies that they have, that they share? Mm. Well, I got to admit because the the podcast I'm working on, you know, just to plug it a little bit, (laughs) but you know, a startup snapshot, it was conceptualized in the beginning as really finding those stories where startup founders, entrepreneurs, business leaders really came face to face with a moment that almost ruined them. Maybe, you know, Mm. a situation that almost made their startup crumble. Yep. Almost that, that could have been a turning point in which if they went the wrong way, they would no longer be a startup founder. Absolutely. Um, So I, I, what I see from a lot of these people that I talk to, um, for a lot of the people that we interviewed, is that it, they all had the common trait of a refusal to back down. You I know, like that. In the face of all these challenges, in the face of the worst possible situation happening, the, the, the worst possible thing that would happen in that moment happening, they decide instead of moping, instead of um, being depressed, instead of just uh, wallowing in their own self-pity, to find a way to pivot to find a solution, to find a way out of that, 
you know, if not for themselves as a founder, as a person, if not for their livelihoods, you know, because it's their job, but sometimes even for their employees, because some of these people have hundreds of people working for them. Mm. And uh, if they steer the business in the wrong way, they're not affecting one life. They're affecting hundreds. Uh, so, so a lot of them really do show that in their never say die attitude. Yeah. Uh, to, to, to bring up one example, you know, um, there was this uh, company, uh, it's, it's on the podcast as well. Um, uh, uh, it's this company called M17, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, who, whose founder brought the company up from a dating app, just one dating app, like a, almost like a Tinder, mm-hmm. to being one of the most high profile and biggest live streaming and content giants in the region and brought it up to the point where it was gonna IPO gonna Mm. be listed on the New York Stock Exchange and on that morning um, right before right after he ringed the bell actually um, someone came up to him and said the investors kind of missed a few forms that they should sign what there's some discrepancies in the form or something like that Um, and he went into a panic like he like he was calling up investors calling up his contacts making sure people did the right thing and everything but then he made the decisive move to delist from the ipo um which became the first time that the company delisted itself after already ringing the bell wow they managed to claim that title but after that you know like he had to make a decision he had to make a decision as to how he was going to bring the company up from the rut because that would affect investor sentiments. That would affect the performance of the company because morale would have been shot. So uh, he really turned it all around and he talked a little bit on the podcast as well about um, the, the old Asian war philosophies that he held by in which he rallied his company to rise up, uh, rise up against the occasion and really like played his own part as well as the CEO to really be down on the ground with his men, uh, with his employees, and brought the company back to profitability. Mm. Um, you know, ever, ever since then, obviously, they've had their own ups and downs. The startup scene is pretty volatile and mm. unforgiving. But that one story in itself really encapsulates what a lot of successful founders have. It's that decision in the moment to act quick and make a move mm. rather than being affected by a situation you know yeah uh that's we, I love we that. actually had a we had an online event a virtual event recently where um our ceo uh Technasia ceo talked to a couple other ceos in this no bs series you know no bullshit series mm. where uh they just had a very candid conversation between the three of them and they broadcasted it and one of the questions that was posed was you know like in this COVID-19 environment, the both of you had to do layoffs. You know, these two companies that came to have a conversation, to have discourse with our CEO. Mm. Um, all had to, well, I don't think they both have layoffs. But anyway, they, 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 had, they, they, they had gone through some adversity in COVID-19, um, both of them being in the F&B industry. And, um, and essentially, the question was, you know, how did you deal with it? Like as a person, were you emotional? Were like, how did you feel? Mm. And their answer was basically, you know, I don't think there's time to feel. We gotta, <laughs> we gotta do. We gotta move. Yes. If you just sit there and wallow in your own self pity, there's nothing that is gonna happen. Like you're the CEO of the company. You're the founder of the company. You are responsible for everything that goes on here and everything that happens to it. So, uh, I gotta say they did pretty well. I, I know one of them was called Chope. It's a restaurant, uh, um, like dining booking platform. Mm. And on the day when Singapore's um, uh, uh, circuit breaker, which is like lockdown uh, mm. restrictions were lifted, it saw its bookings fly through the roof. Wow. So being able to sustain in that almost three month period where there were no, or, or like at least almost zero people booking restaurant uh, seats, booking reservations at restaurants. Like if, if they had just decided to wallow in their self-pity in mm. that three months, they would have never made it to this point where they were able to come out on top. So 
yeah, I, th- I think that's 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 something that a lot of them will have in common. And never like say die attitude. Yeah, never say die. And especially, I think what you described the common thing was they they faced rock bottom, like the turning point. It's this is the moment of truth. You're either yeah. going to end or you're going to rise up. Right? Yeah. You're going to either yeah. disappear or you're going to grow. So I like that. And what was the episode, just quickly, uh, from your podcast? Because I haven't heard that one yet. So which episode oh, man, is it? Which is that? That's the one featuring M17. Um, okay, I'll find I it. I think I have the word IPO in the title. So Okay, you can, cool. It's I'll a while also, back. It was sometime last year. I'd so. love to. Yeah, I'm going to check it out. I'll also link it here. Cool. Yeah. All right, Nat, thank you so much, man, for your time and super interesting conversation. Oh, man, thank you, Tan. It was a pleasure being here. All right, that was Nathaniel Fetalvero. You can find him at techinasia.com. That's T-E-C-H-I-N-A-S-I-A.com. There you can read his writings and listen to his podcast. You can connect with me at noticingtheobvious.com where you'll find more conversations like this. I'm Tan Lei. Thank you for listening.